This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Hey everybody, welcome to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. I am Dan Lobby. And I am Mary Kay Cabot. And away we go. But first of all, we have something big coming up, uh, beginning soon here, but we'll give them a shout out here. Uh, Mary Kay, we have a sponsor now. Sibling Revelry Brewery in Westlake is mm-hmm. uh, going to be sponsoring our podcast. You'll get to hear a little bit more about that Uh Soon, I'm sure, maybe as soon as next week, even. So, uh, shout out to them for jumping on board with the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Of, of course, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, uh, find us on Spotify, leave us really good reviews so we can kind of keep adding to our uh, to our sponsors. And who knows, maybe we'll get a little uh, live event for everybody. Yes, uh, that, I think that could be in the works. Yeah, we are going to do that. Actually, I think we are going to plan that. For the bye weekend, or sometime during the bye week, we will be out at Sibling Revelry Brewery, and uh, we hope everyone has a chance to come out, and we'll have a good time. All right, uh, let's get right to it. Let's talk about uh, three kind of pressing Browns topics here, and we're going to start uh, with Baker Mayfield, because, you know, with Tyrod Taylor coming out and going 15 of 40 in the opener, Mm -hmm. struggling in the rain and, and the wind at First Energy Stadium, the Browns offense only getting 21 points despite six turnovers. Uh, Of course, naturally, uh, a lot of people on Twitter, sports talk radio, all over the place have said, is it time for Baker Mayfield? And the next night, Sam Darnold goes out with the Jets, plays really well. Josh Allen is going to get thrown in with the Bills. Uh, We're probably not that far off from seeing Josh Rosen at some point in Arizona. So it's, it's just going to get more and more intense, especially if Taylor continues to struggle. And you know, you brought that up with Hugh Jackson today. Does does seeing a guy like Darnold have success change kind of the plan this team has in place? Well, yeah, I think it was an important question to ask. I think it was on the minds of everyone. After Sam Darnold went out there and did that, you had to ask yourself, would Baker Mayfield have won the game against the Pittsburgh Steelers? It only took it was it would only have taken maybe one or two more plays in that game to win it. And I mean, including at the end of regulation, when when Tyrod threw an interception instead of uh, what could have been a big play or a touchdown pass. So uh, I, I do think it's a fair question to ask. And I think, Dan, this is kind of where I stand on this right now. And I do plan on writing a column about this once I sort of crystallize these thoughts in my in my brain. I think that the Browns had an organizational philosophy about how they wanted to handle this with Baker Mayfield. Now, we asked Hugh Jackson today, and, and that hasn't changed. They're going to slow play it with Baker. They're not going to play him before he's ready. And they're going to, uh, I, I would say that Tyrod is kind of on a long leash right now. Um, but I really do think that it needs to be taken on a case-by-case basis. I don't think Baker Mayfield should have to pay for the sins of Deshaun Kaiser, Cody Kessler. I don't think his situation should be compared to that of what John Dorsey went through in Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre, or what he went through in Kansas City with Alex Smith and Pat Mahomes. I think you need to look at Baker Mayfield in Cleveland, the talent level that he's at right now, 
And over the next couple of weeks, is he better than Tyrod or is he not? And that's the only thing that should matter. Yeah, and, um, you know, I, I think it's – there were certainly throws on Sunday when I thought, okay, Baker Mayfield, I think, makes that throw. Um, right. But it's also – I think we have to keep in mind, we don't know for sure what would have happened if Baker right. Mayfield starts we that don't. game. I mean, maybe he comes out and turns the ball over three times, um, you know, in the rain or, or whatever. Um, you know, maybe, you know, Terod Taylor did score a long touchdown on the ground. You know, so you're probably not going to get that out of Baker Mayfield. Now, right. again, if he's able to make some of those throws that Taylor couldn't, then it doesn't matter. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to come out and just say they win that game with Baker Mayfield. But, you know, I could see why people are making that case. Yeah, and I do think that the weather was a factor. I think there were a lot of factors in this game. The weather was certainly one. And I would think in this situation that the Pittsburgh Steelers would be more weatherproof than the Cleveland Browns because they've been together so long. Yeah. I mean, Ben Roethlisberger has thrown thousands of passes to Antonio Brown in practice and, and games over the years, right? Yeah, and, he, and he didn't exactly look great on right. Sunday in that weather. Right. And, and this was, not only was this Tyrod Taylor's first game in this new offense with all these skilled players around him, including the very first time that he ever played with Josh Gordon, okay, whether you're, we're talking about you know, a preseason game or anything, this was it. Those two guys out there for the very first time. Not only that, you had Todd Haley calling this offense for the first time in his Cleveland Browns career. And I think that's significant because you don't really know what you have until you see these guys out there in live action, I don't mean preseason action, I mean live action where they have game planned for you, where they have mm-hmm. spent weeks trying to figure out how to stop you, this was his first opportunity to go out there and call that game. And, you know, quite frankly, I think he learned a lot about his football team that he didn't know. And there's certain things when I look at the game plan, I think, you know, I probably, you know, would have liked to see some smaller, shorter passes, some opportunity to get even the ball into the hands of Josh Gordon on some slants and different things yeah. where he could just take the ball and go and, and take advantage of his speed. I mean, you're not going to make a bunch of high percentage passes, I don't think, when you're all new in those kind of weather conditions. And then another thing is Duke Johnson, super reliable. Every time you get the ball in his hands, he makes a play, he's going to stiff iron somebody, and he's going to go the extra mile. You know, these are things that Todd Haley doesn't really know yet, that when the going is rough, you can go to a guy like that and he'll make a play for you. Yeah, and let's not forget the offensive line. You had a left tackle who was coming from West Georgia. Right. You know, right. Uh, hadn't been playing left tackle with the ones uh, all throughout. Now, you know, the seven sacks can sometimes be a little misleading uh, because obviously Terod Taylor is a guy that holds the football a long time. He did it in Buffalo. He does it here. He holds the football. He takes a lot of sacks. At the same time, some of that was on the offensive line, and some of that was on the fact that you had a a left tackle out there that you needed to help. Uh, There's certainly going to be a chain reaction when he struggles a little bit. I I don't think he was as disastrous as everyone kind of said immediately after the game, but there there were definitely struggles there. So I I do think this goes beyond Taylor. And look, to me, you put this plan in place, you can't just abandon it after one week, especially a week in the rain and, and the wind. Right. Let this let this thing go down to New Orleans. See what happens. I'm not saying you're going to beat the Saints. Right. But let's see let's see if we come out of week two feeling better about this offense with Taylor at quarterback. Yeah, and the other thing too is when you talk about the seven sacks, 
um, certainly they weren't even all on the offensive line. We saw some blitz pickup problems with even like a, yeah. a with a rookie like Nick Chubb. Uh, you're going to have those kind of problems. Now, Desmond Harrison, you would expect that he would take a big jump from week one to week two. Joel Batonio, now he'll know a little bit more about what he has to do to help Desmond Harrison. The team will know a little bit more about how much help they have to give Desmond Harrison in terms of chipping and things like that from a tight end. Uh, so, you know, they've got another big-time pass rusher that they're going to be going up against on Sunday in Cam Jordan. He had 13 sacks mm-hmm. last year. And, you know, he'll find a weakness. If he's not getting past Chris Hubbard for a sack, he's going to go up over on the other side and he's going to try Desmond Harrison or wherever he can <laughs> find a weakness. Uh, so these are things that they're going to have to uh, take into account again. But Tyrod's going to have to get rid of the ball a little bit quicker, and I think they need to have a little bit more of a horizontal passing game. Get the ball into the hands of your playmakers very quickly. Get it out quickly. Get it to Duke. Get it to even Josh Short. Get it to Jarvis uh, a little bit more on on some of the quicker passes. You know, I I think the point you bring up with Josh, too, from earlier is is important because, you know, you go back and you watch the highlights from that, that huge season he had. It wasn't all just him going down the field and catching bombs, you know, all season. He did a lot, taking handoffs on end of rounds, yeah. quick passes, slants, posts. I mean, there were a, there was a lot of stuff where he made a catch and made things happen after the catch. And, and we didn't see that a ton last year when he came back. And I don't think we saw really many attempts at that on Sunday either. Yeah, and you know what? I mean, that has kind of been the knock against Tyrod, really, is taking those big, long shots down the field and in some cases being a little bit reluctant to take some of those because he is very ball-protecting and team-protecting in that way. He doesn't like to take huge chances. He doesn't like to necessarily take big risks over the middle. Uh, So you want to minimize some of that with him too. I think once you get Baker in there, I think you'll be able to do a little bit more of that because not only does he have a stronger arm, but he's also pinpoint accurate. I mean, so incredibly accurate. I'm looking forward uh, to the day when we can see how that holds up against a rush in a live situation in a game because what we've seen in practice and even in preseason games throughout training camp, it was just uncanny how he can place the ball where he wants it to go. Mm -hmm. So I think that's something to look forward to down the road. But in the meantime, I think they have to come up with game plans that include RPOs and different things that can make Tyrod look really, really good. Yeah, and and the thing is, you know, look, they're going to New Orleans with Taylor as your starter. Barring injury, you're not going to turn around in a short week and hand things off to Baker Mayfield. Right. So this is what you have for the next two weeks at least. Right. Um, And I still would think beyond. But, you know, your first point to really kind of reevaluate it would be after that Jets game on Thursday night. Yeah, and and you would think so. I mean, the only way that doesn't happen, obviously, is if Tyrod gets hurt in this game. And when you have a running quarterback, you never know – what is going to happen. So at any given moment, Baker Mayfield can be in the game. We even saw it in this past game. Tyrod Taylor took a very hard shot very early on in the game, and I almost had to wonder. He got up, tending to his shoulder a little bit. I had to wonder if he wasn't a little sore for the rest of the game. The Browns say no. Tyrod Taylor said no. But there were a few throws where you're just thinking, you know, why didn't he put a little bit more air under that ball? Yeah, all right, let's move on, and and let's talk about Josh Gordon because one of the other big stories this week was Josh Gordon starting. Um, and Hugh Jackson has downplayed it. Todd Haley downplayed it big way in, in a big way today when we talked to him. We're recording this on Thursday, a few hours after Haley talked. Um, it, it's been downplayed from the people who have gotten behind microphones and talked about it. Um, 
And, and a lot of people out there I've seen on Twitter, I've seen some some reaction like, why does this matter? Like, mm-hmm. why, why are you guys worried about this? This is the NFL. Like Todd Haley said, uh, you know, you start with different packages. You, right. you know, different guys start for different reasons. So why is it a big deal that Josh Gordon started? And I, I think it is important. I think this is one of those things that kind of made you stop when Josh Gordon walked out there and you were like, huh, what, what exactly is going on here? Because we've seen on Hard Knocks right. a little tension there. You know, we know kind of a little bit about Todd Haley and, and his interactions with people and things like that. It's it's one of those things, I guess, that maybe it doesn't seem like a big deal now, but what happens if, you know, in November we start hearing reports about all this tension and we think, huh, maybe that did matter all the way back on opening day. Right. I mean, the people, and again, I've taken um, some grief today on Twitter because I asked Todd Haley the first question today about the him starting Josh Gordon. Well, you know, of course, we would have asked him on Monday if we had him on Monday, <laughs> and this story would have been over with on Monday, yeah. but we don't have him until Thursday. So first of all, we just had no choice except for to ask him the question today, and it had to be asked. And Dan, you're exactly right. Why is this important? It's not important because, uh, you know, because, you know, Josh Gordon played one play and then came out or whatever. It's, you know, that in and of itself is not vitally important. What is vitally important, like you said, is it's an examination of and a little bit of an investigation into is there something going on between the head coach and the offensive coordinator? Now, if there's not, there's not, and that's cool. Mm -hmm. But let's find out because when Hugh Jackson says, absolutely in no uncertain terms Josh Gordon is not starting the game and then the offensive coordinator put him out there on the first play it's incumbent upon us to find out what happened that's why we're here if if you know if we didn't need to find things out about this football team then we wouldn't have jobs <laughs> i mean that's what we're supposed to do is find out why didn't they win the game why did they win the game who played well who didn't and what's going on with the Cleveland Browns football team. And again, if this is nothing, that's fine. Let everybody go on their merry way and it's over with. But the examination here is, is it symptomatic of a larger issue? And we would be remiss if we didn't follow our instincts on these kind of things. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I think there's a disconnect, obviously, between, you know, look, we're here every day and, and we talk to these people on a regular basis. And, you know, I do think we kind of watch some of this stuff a little more closely just because that's that's our job for, you know, a, a casual fan or maybe not even a casual fan, maybe some of the hardcore fans. Look, they care about one thing. Did the Browns win? Did the Browns lose? And that, and that's fine. But, right. you know, from our perspective, you know, I think back to uh, Mike Pettin and Ray Farmer. Right. You know, I mean, there were little signs here oh. and there that when you looked back, yes. you could say, I mean, I, I remember a, a real small one just in a press conference when Ray Farmer came back from his uh, from his suspension and somebody asked Ray or somebody asked Mike Pettin, did, did you talk to Ray today? And Mike Pettin gave this really cold sort of, yeah, we had a real positive interaction yeah. answer, which right. was like, that's not really, right. That, you know, your, your antennas kind of go up yes. when you hear something like that. It's like a positive interaction. Nobody says that. So it's just little things like that that you're sort of keeping an eye on as the season goes along. And maybe by the end of the year, it's a footnote, but maybe it's not. Exactly. And that, that's why some of the fans that really don't understand why we're going down a certain road with certain things is that we know some things and we see some things 
that you guys might not see or necessarily understand. And that's a perfect example that we knew that there was tension bubbling under the surface with Ray Farmer, with Kyle Shanahan, with Mike Pettin. And, you know, you can try to hide these things, but when they're there, you know, you really can't hide them. <laughs> they start to come out in various ways. They slip out in press conferences. And why do they matter? Because all of a sudden you turn around one day and the person involved in it is gone. And then a bunch of the players that he drafted are gone. And then Kyle Shanahan, you know what I mean? Yeah. It just has a ripple effect. So these things do matter. I mean, I remember back when, you know, when we first started covering Johnny Manziel. It was very evident very early on that Johnny Manziel was a train wreck when he came here. It was obvious to us. The people that were covering the team, we could tell. Okay, there were many, many signs that he was just off the deep end when he was first here. And it was just different than any other rookie quarterback or any other kind of quarterback that I saw come through here in terms of work ethic and what what kind of time they were putting in and what their attitude was about the whole thing and what they were doing on their weekends and what they did on their first day off in training camp you could tell there were problems and yeah we took a lot of grief for writing about that early (laughs) on but I, I know I for one I kept hammering away at it and hammering away at it and hammering away at it because I knew that it was wrong I knew that this number one that this first round quarterback that they took was a mess and you can't ignore those things yeah I mean that's you know, we're not saying any of this condescendingly or anything, no. obviously, but it's just sort of uh, for those of you out there wondering why do they keep asking about this? Why does this keep getting brought up? Why, why, why is it getting made a bigger deal than than we think it is? I, I mean, that's that's a big piece of it. It's about trying to piece together little things that you that you see, that you hear, that get said. And look, actions speak louder than words in this league. That's yes. that's the biggest thing to, to remember. You know, they can say whatever they want in those press conferences. Right. When it's game time or when it's time to make draft picks or whatever, that's when they put the cards on the table. And what did we see? Play number one. Todd Haley sends out Josh Gordon. That That's an action. Yeah, and, and it comes in the aftermath of, like you said, what we saw in Hard Knocks, where there was a little disconnect. And, there, and yeah. he even took another little uh, stab at that in his press conference today. He did, Right? In, in Hard Knocks, we all saw that there was a little disconnect between resting veteran players. And today, Todd Haley had another comment about that. He said, every day that you miss takes away from what we're trying to do. And, I, you know, maybe that had nothing to do with the whole Hard Knocks issue. Maybe it did. But what we're trying to say here is that, you know, if there's something going on, let's, let's kind of follow it and see where it goes. The other thing is, it could be, you know, you hire very strong personalities like Greg Williams and like Todd Haley. It's going to take a little while to establish, to mark your territory, to establish your ground, to plant yeah. your flag, <laughs> and sort of figure out who's going to be doing what. Hugh Jackson handed over the play-calling duties to Todd Haley, okay? That's got to be a really tough thing to do yeah. for somebody who has done that and prides himself on that. It's got to be really hard, especially when you watch that first game and the offense looked horrible. I mean, the offense looked horrible, right? Mm -hmm. So you just have to wonder then, you know, okay, what goes on behind the scenes in the aftermath of something like that? Yeah, and and this is a competitive business, and all of these guys are super competitive. You know, they love to remind us that they work 100-hour weeks and – you know, there's there's <laughs> there's a lot of things that can bubble and and you know kind of brew behind the scenes and 
the really good organizations survive them, and right. they make Josh Gordon starting the first game a footnote. You know, we'll, we'll see if that's what happens here. Yeah, and you know what, Dan? Uh, I'm, I'm sure that it wasn't all, um, you know, bouquets of roses every minute between, like, a, a Todd Haley and a Mike Tomlin. Oh, you yeah. get really strong personalities trying to go out and win football games in this alpha dog man's world. And you're, you're going to butt heads. Sometimes you're even going to really butt heads. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there, there are just times where... Uh, those things happen, and everybody understands that. And sometimes it works out, and sometimes it doesn't. And I think we're still in that let's get to know each other phase, and let's see where this is going to go. Yeah, there's a lot, a lot of money and a lot of power on the line in this business. All right, let's let's talk about the Saints a little bit here, uh, since this will be our last podcast that we do before um, the Saints game. And we actually got a review uh, on iTunes that was very complimentary of us, and said they wished we did more of these. Okay. So, you know, we'll try. And of course, now that, again, Sibling Revelry is on board, we'll certainly try and as much as we can to get their name out there. So, uh, you know, let us know kind of when you want these, when it works for you. I mean, we'd like to do two per week, probably yep. a post game and, and then maybe one during the week, you know, as the season goes along. So let us know what works for you. Um, Saints preview. The Saints coming off a 48 to 40 loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Ryan Fitzpatrick, who uh, had, a, had a really great game. Uh, at the in the Superdome on Sunday, uh, it was a Big Twelve style game. I don't know if that's how the Saints are going to have to play all of their games this year. Their defense has been slowly getting better and better year to year, um, but you know it, it, they needed a shootout the other day. They lost. I'm sure they wouldn't mind going into a shootout with the offense that we saw on Sunday. I, I guess the question here is if this does turn into like a, a Big Twelve game, can the Browns keep up? Yeah, it's it's a big big question mark. Now I think that the Browns will find that they're not going against the same defense that they went against last week with the Pittsburgh Steelers. That was a very, very tough defense. You had Bud Dupree. You had Cam Hayward. They gave fits to the offensive line and the protection Mm -hmm. team, and they made things very difficult. I mean, you had Joe Hayden for most of the game. He made a great play on a Josh Gordon deep ball in the end zone. Uh, You had Cameron Sutton uh, making some nice plays, including an interception. So that's a really good, well-oiled machine, that Pittsburgh Steelers defense. And I don't think this defense is as good as that, so I think the opportunities will be there for the Browns to have a much better game, and they have to. I think the game plan will be vastly different. Like I said, again, I think you'll see lots of shorter stuff and guys using their speed and their playmaking ability to break tackles and, and to, you know, to get downfield and, and score the ball maybe in a different way than a bomb. Um, so I, I do think that they will have more success offensively, but will they have enough? It's an interesting matchup. Will they have enough to keep pace with Drew Brees, and what impact is this opportunistic Browns defense going to have on Drew Brees and company? Yeah, and I, I think that's actually kind of the interesting thing to watch is this is a very different quarterback that you're playing. Mm-hmm. Um, this isn't Big Ben who's going to hold on to the football and try to make something out of nothing and, and move around in the pocket. Um, th- this is Drew Brees who has, who's really great in the pocket, and mm-hmm. then he gets rid of the ball really quickly and he's got all kinds of guys that he can get it out to including Alvin Kamara Michael Thomas he's got some weapons um that he you know all over the field Mm -hmm. and uh you know it's going to be tough you know Miles Garrett is going to have a little more trouble getting into that backfield now in time to get to Breeze before he gets rid of the football 
Yeah, and he also will not have E-Man on the other side of him, probably. Uh, he suffered an ankle injury. We have not seen him in practice. Now, maybe he'll come back and play in this game, uh, but he would probably have to either get out there and practice a little bit or have a really uh, quick recovery in time for Sunday. So it seems like he won't be out there. However, when you look at last week, Miles Garrett did most of his damage when, when Emmanuel Ogbo yeah. was off the field and Chris Smith was in there. Um, but again, he is going to have to be very, very quick off the ball. Miles is going to have to be because this is a very super quick release. And everybody talks about Drew Brees. The thing that sets him apart is just his absolute intelligence, his intelligence for the game, his field vision, and his ability to just get, you know, to get that ball out very quickly and to, to diagnose a defense and to put the ball exactly where it's supposed to go. So... Uh, that's going to be a big challenge. I mean, the Steelers, even in the pouring rain, racked up 500 yards. Yeah. So there were some issues on the Browns' defense. I mean, you know, they were covered up by six takeaways, but there were some there were some issues there. Yeah, I mean, there's things that worry you about this game. First of all, like you said, just Drew Brees, his ability to go up to the line of scrimmage and get the Saints into whatever play he sees fit. You know, him and Sean Payton have been working together for so long. Yeah. Um, and, and he can just go up to the line and get them in whatever play they need to be in. But then you look at, you know, look what James Conner did to the Browns last week. Right. You know, in rushing and passing. Yep. Or, or receiving, I should say. Well, Alvin Kamara is 10 times the player that James Conner is, or at least right. the, the player we think James Conner will be. So, you know, he's he's going to have lots of room underneath to catch the football. The Browns have to figure out a way to combat that. And and then again, you've got Michael Thomas, you've got Ted Ginn who can get down the field a little bit. They're going to have their hands full with this team. Yeah, it's, it's all about matchups. And it'll be very interesting to see how the Browns match up with a team like this. Again, on a fast track inside in a hostile environment. Going to be very, very noisy. Um, Denzel Ward, this is a big, big game for him. He will be playing against... Michael Thomas, who was his former Ohio State teammate, and he actually did practice against Michael Thomas for a year when they were together. So this is an opportunity for him to go out and have another sort of uh, statement game against a Michael Thomas who, uh, you know, we looked at these two first games for Denzel Warden, and we're like, okay, (laughs) you're starting against not only two future Hall of Fame quarterbacks, but two really, really great receivers in Antonio Brown and Michael Thomas. So that's definitely something to watch. Like you said, again, Miles Garrett, can he get to Drew Brees? Can he bring him down? Uh, You know, he's off to a great, great start. Uh, What will they do to game plan for Miles Garrett? Knowing, you know, knowing that he basically took over the game, he might get extra attention, especially with Emmanuel Ogba out on the other side. You might be able to commit a little bit, a few more resources to not letting Miles wreck the game for you. So those are some things to look at. It, it should be an interesting game. And both teams, I think, you know, look, the Saints start 0-2 like every year. Um, but they, they don't want that to happen. This is a team with Super Bowl aspirations. They don't want to lose to the Browns at home. No. And the Browns, you know, you hate the idea of going into that Thursday night game. I know it always kind of felt likely they would go into that game winless, but right. you had a chance to win one. And you see, you, I mean, you saw how good the Jets looked on Monday night. You hate having that quick turnaround, sitting at 0-1-1. I, I mean, I I certainly won't pick the Browns to go in and pull the upset, but, you know, they they need to be just as desperate as the Saints in this game. Yeah, they they really do. And, uh, and again, the Saints are, are coming off of a game 
that they're not happy about at all. And when you do go 0-2, your chances of making the playoffs are drastically reduced. I don't have this stat in my head right now, but it's like 0-2 teams do not usually make the playoffs. I mean, it's just a weird thing that we all write about when when the teams go 0-2, which happens quite often for the Cleveland Browns. But um, <laughs> We don't ever make the playoffs. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so, yeah, these guys have a lot to play for in the Superdome, the Saints do, and they're, they're going to come out loaded for bear in this game. And we also should mention that Drew Brees paid a very high compliment. Yes. To Baker I even, that, I even wrote that down, and I forgot to bring it up. We yeah. got all caught up in the Baker talk earlier. <laughs> so we had a conference call with Drew Brees yesterday, and I asked him, do you see a little bit of yourself in Baker Mayfield? And he started. He kind of gave a chuckle, and he said, I think he can be a lot better than me. He's got all the tools, stronger arm, more athletic, and that's quite a compliment coming from the future yeah. Hall of Famer. Yeah, that's um... – that, that was kind of a flooring moment, right? Like yeah. when, when a Hall of Famer says he can be better than, than I am. And, and you know what? What it comes down to is can he learn the mental side of the game like Drew Brees has? Right. You know, because he does have those tools. He does yeah. have a lot of those tools that Brees has, the accuracy, the arm, all of that. Right. You know, can he master the mental side of things? And he understands that. He knows. I mean, when you ask him about Drew Brees, he knows exactly that's, that that is what makes Drew Brees who he is and the future Hall of Famer that he is. And I think that, that Baker is working very, very hard on that side of it uh, to study film, to be a student of the game, to study players like Drew Brees, and to do things the way that those greats do it. He studies Brett Favre. He studies Drew Brees. Guys that are kind of in the same height category as him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brees, uh, Brett Favre a little tiny bit taller, but not a lot. Yeah. I mean, really not a lot. Um, Russell Wilson, those kind of guys. So super high praise coming from Drew Brees, and it also kind of maybe fueled the <laughs> little bit of Baker Mayfield mania that was starting to go on this week. All right, so Browns and Saints, we will be uh, at the Superdome on Sunday uh, covering that game, and look, crazy things happen when mm-hmm. these two teams play. That's yep. for sure. You go back to the Hail Mary from Tim Couch, uh, the David Bowens game where he had multiple interceptions. Yep. 2014, the Browns upset the Saints on their way to starting 7-4, and four, so crazy things happen when these two teams play. Yeah, and then we have the uh, the added storyline of Greg Williams, yes, the former Saints defensive coordinator, going in, and there's been some bad blood between Saints head coach Sean Payton and his former defensive coordinator, Greg Williams, with everything that happened over Bounty Gate and Sean Payton running up scores on him in the past. And so there, there might be a little bit of a score to settle there as well. Yeah, a couple of years ago with the Rams, Sean Payton, I think, put up 49 yep. against uh, Greg Williams, and he was, not taking his, uh, he was not taking his foot off the gas. Nope. So um, the Browns had better be ready to score some points on Sunday yep. if they want to win this game. All right, so that will do it for another edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Again, make sure you're subscribed to us on Apple Podcasts and leave us good reviews, uh, Google Play, find us on Spotify, Go to Sibling Revelry Brewery and and get yourself a drink after the game on Sunday after you watch the game. I'm sure you won't regret it, and uh, you'll be hearing more from them as well. Uh, So for Mary Kay Cabot, I'm Dan Lobby. Thanks for listening, everybody.